In the principle of the first, we learn that the firstborn must be redeemed. And the firstborn of all creation is the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn that the first fruit must be offered. The very first fruit of everything must be offered. And we also learned that the tithe must be first. The principle of the tithe is a 10% of what you earn. In the story of two fathers, we learned that you're either of your father the devil or your father God. If you want a life of deception, deceit, and distrust, then take the side of your father the devil. But if you want a life of restoration, redemption, forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and love, then be on the side of your father God. Last week was a message on God's vision. We have our own vision, our own goals for ourselves. But if that goal, that vision is not aligned to God's vision for you, then you're going to live a life of struggling with God. Because you're going to ask time and time again, why isn't it working? So take a look at your vision. See it as Isaiah saw it in Isaiah 6. Own it for yourself. Take the bull by the horns. And then what you should you do? Just do it. See God's vision for you. Own it and just do it. Today, I've entitled my message simply TGIF. And I'm going to share with you later on what this means. Before we proceed, why don't we? They're looking for the speaker. It's not there, it's in the car. It's in the car. It's in the compartment near the handbrake. <laughs> I know exactly where it is, but they don't ask me, so here you go. TGIF, think about those letters. And hopefully at the end of the message, everyone will be involved in TGIF, all right? Shall we all pray? God, we just want to thank you for this time. Thank you for bringing your people. Thank you for bringing our spiritual family, some of our guests, some who may be here, Lord, for the very first time. Thank you for bringing them, Lord, to be with us, to listen to your word. We commit to you this time, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read. Let's stand and read God's word. In Joshua chapter 7, let's begin with verse 1. But the Israelites... When they heard, All right, you may be seated. Think about those three previous messages. The principle of first, the story of two fathers, and God's vision. Keep them in the back of your mind as we discuss what happened in Joshua chapter 7. God's vision for the Israelites was to free them from bondage, to free them from slavery at the hand of the Egyptians. And he called Moses. 
from Pastor Danny, Danny's message. He called Moses. God told Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people and I'm going to bring them to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And if you're like me and you're like Moses, you come up with all kinds of excuses. This is God's vision. This is not your vision. And if it's God's vision, God will surely make it come to pass. But we're human. We give all kinds of excuses not to do God's will. After 40 years wandering in the desert, they're finally ready to cross the River Jordan and to enter the Promised Land. God already gave them the Promised Land. He said, the land is yours. All you need to do is possess it. Take possession of the, of the land. So, they come first to the city of Jericho. And we learn from the principle of the first, what? The first fruit belongs to God. So, they experienced the power of God. Jericho fell and they took possession of Jericho. But what happened in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1? Did they win? Did they fail? They failed. 3,000 men went up to wage war on AI. Artificial intelligence. Allen Iverson. Call it what you want. They were supposed to wage war against the next city, the second city, AI. And they sent 3,000 men, and they were routed. 36 of their soldiers died, and their hearts melted like water. They were discouraged. Why? Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on the day... On that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. What did Joshua tell them? Shout. Why? The Lord has given you the city. It's already yours. All you need to do is take possession. Right? Now, you're a military commander. If you're a military commander, you plan out. Okay, the attack is coming from the west. We were outflanked them. We're going to do this. And then we're going to do a, a, a uh, destructive maneuver, but we're going to really come in, etc., etc. But God's plan for them was not based on a human understanding. He said, for six days, the musicians and priests will go before the Ark of the Covenant and you will encircle the city once you will do that for six days on the seventh day you will encircle the city seven times and after you have encircled the city seven times the trumpets will blast you will shout and the walls of Jericho will come tumbling down so this is a picture you are a military strategist you are Joshua and God's plan for you basically does not make sense. But when they obeyed, what happened? The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to the destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, the articles of bronze and iron, are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. It tumbled inside. It didn't tumble outside because if it fell outwardly, then the walls would have crushed the Israelites. It fell inwardly. 
to destroy the people in Jericho. And what did God say? The city, the first city, the first fruit, the tithe, what? Belongs, is devoted, is set apart for the Lord. Spare only Rahab because Rahab, the prostitute, aided the spies whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. In verse 18, God made or God gave specific commands through, Jer through Joshua. Keep away from the devoted things. You should not bring about your destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp is of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. How much? All. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. No one is supposed to take them. Why? The first fruit, all of it, belongs to God. After Jericho, every time they would vanquish a city, they could take the plunder. But all the plunder in the city of Jericho, they were not to touch. It is devoted to God. But what did they do? But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Was Israel faithful? But it was only one man. You see, sin has collateral damage. One sin affects a lot of people. They marched around Jericho. They saw God's power. But God said, don't touch any of the plunder because that's mine. That's the first fruit. That's mine. But there was this one man, a father, who chose to disobey God. Achan was unfaithful. What did he do? He kept some of the treasure for himself. His heart was not really devoted to God. See, I can identify with Achan. You're not supposed to take God's plunder. You're not supposed to touch the tithe. You're not supposed to touch the first fruit. All of that is God's. Many years ago, our Lakewood D group probably remembers me telling this to them. I was in the Philippine Stock Exchange. And as I looked at my ledger, I've just made a big sale. I had 11 million. 11 million pesos in my trading account. Cash. What is the first fruit? Huh? 10%. 1.1 million. The type, the first fruit belongs to whom? You know what I did? 1.1 million, huh? I really set it aside. I set it aside. It was hard writing that check. But I set it aside. I actually opened a new bank account specifically for that 1.1 million. The tithe belongs to God. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Did I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse? No. I brought the whole tithe. But it did not go to the storehouse. It went to a special bank account that I used to purchase equipment because I felt that the leadership was very slow. You know, there's equipment that you have praise and worship teams, but the equipment is Pedinayan and this and that. So I felt that the leadership was slow. Make a long story short, I was unfaithful in bringing the tithe. Because even if I did bring the tithe, I was administering the tithe as I saw fit. As a matter of fact, when I shared this in CCF Manila, Pastor Peter even asked me, so in song, where did the money go? Pastor, the money's all around you. What do you mean? I bought amplifiers, I bought guitars, I bought drum set, everything is here. 
But I realized that was not for me to decide. It's up to the Lord through the leadership of the church to decide. And from positive 11 million, negative 3 million. You do the math. Achan was unfaithful. God said, the plunder belongs to me. Nobody take anything. And he was unfaithful. So why did they not succeed in defeating the second city, Ai? First, because there was sin in the camp. Joshua 7 verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua allowed Achan to confess. And he told them the truth and he sent people to go and investigate. In verse 23, they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bars, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that they had to the valley of Achor. Who sinned? Achan. Who got involved? Everything in his household, his entire clan got involved. This father, who was unfaithful, now he has to present everything before the Lord as well as his sons and daughters and everything that he had. And what did they do? Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they have stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heap a large pile of rocks which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. The sin of one man. His entire family died with him. Everything that he had amassed died with him. All the plunder that he stole was burned up. Was he a good father? Friend. One sin is enough to contaminate a good batch. Paul writes, a little yeast puffs up the whole dough. Those of you who bake, you know what I'm talking about. Why did they not win? Ai was a smaller city compared to Jericho. Jericho was a city set up on a hill. It was fortified with walls. But God showed them that if you follow me and if you obey me, as we have been singing, nothing is impossible with God. The walls will come tumbling down. The next city, they couldn't win. Why? There was sin in the camp. Secondly, not only was there sin in the camp, they didn't pray. They didn't consult God. God, what are we going to do with the city of Jericho? Oh, this is my plan. But when it came to the city of Ai, I submit to you, they didn't pray. They didn't consult God. Look at verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, 
to the east of Bethel and told them, go up and spy the land. So the men went up and spied, spied out Ai. Did they ask? Did they consult with God? God, okay, praise God, we want a Jericho. How are we going to proceed in the next? The city of Ai. They just, Jericho just, okay, spy, 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 go. Then they found Rahab. Rahab took them in. The spies reported back. They went and fought against Ai, unbeknownst that there was already sin in the camp. Sometimes when there is sin in the camp, you don't want to pray either. Right? Because truth be told, you already know that you're in sin. And sometimes either it's pride that you don't want to pray, or you're embarrassed about your sin that you don't want to pray because God might not listen to you. Guess what? These are the whisperings of the devil. Listen to your father God who says, call upon me. Call upon me and I will answer you. But no God, you're not going to answer because I'm a wretched man. I have sinned against you. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie. That is a lie from the devil. Do not listen to that lie. Look at God's vision for you. God has given them the whole promised land. They were just supposed to take possession of it. But they didn't bother to consult God. They just sent spies out. There is no indication here that they consult God and Joshua and the rest of the elders entreated the Lord and this is what the Lord said. There's nothing there. There was sin. And they didn't even pray about it. Thirdly, they were proud. They just won over Jericho. God was with them. And there is nothing that cannot be done without God. But why do I say that they were proud? Verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary the whole army. For only a few people leave them. Live there. So what was their mindset? Yeah. The Hebrew? Ano, anong Hebrew dun? Yaka. Yaka. Yakang yaka natin to. Just kidding. You see, oh, we don't need, we don't need such a big army. Two or three thousand. Bastante. Pwede na. Is that not being overly sure about yourself? I mean, Joshua, of course, let's give him the benefit of the. He didn't know that Achan had stolen the devoted things. Joshua did not know that there was sin in the camp. But they didn't consult God. They didn't pray. And then, the spies. He listened to the spies. We don't need to send everyone. There are not a lot of people who live there. So what happened? Joshua listened to the spies and he sent 3,000. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. How many people do you have? How many soldiers? 3,000. How many dead? I have 3,000 soldiers. One of my lieutenants will report to me, Sir, 36 have died. Let's go! 36 lang namatay. Why? God was not with them. Mathematically speaking, you can still win, correct? Yes. 
36 died? Timmy, is that a company? Wala pa. Not even a company, 36? It's not even a company of soldiers. 36 lang namatay. They, like the dog, put his tail behind and ran. And they were discouraged. Their hearts melted like water. Talo. First quarter pa lang, talo na. You have 3,000 soldiers, 36 die, and your turn coat. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. Because they did not pray. And because they were proud. 3,000. The, the spies even said, two or 3,000, more or less. There's not too many people over there. And besides, we won already at Jericho. We have seen God's power. Right? So many times, we fall guilty of the sin of presumption. Well, God did it that way in the past. So, God is obviously going to do it this way. Because we've proven Him that way. But there was a problem. In Jericho, all of them obeyed. In Jericho, they trusted God's plan. In AI, there was sin in the camp. They did not consult God. And they have become proud. My question is, why? Why? Why was there sin? Why did they not pray? Why did they become proud? My thesis is this. They did not put God first. Because if Achan put God first, then he would not have stolen the devoted things. If Joshua put God first in this particular instance, maybe he would have prayed first before sending out the spies. Or maybe he prayed after the spies gave up gave a report that not everyone needs to go. They were so confident. They said, don't weary the rest of the army. Two or three thousand is enough. Now why did they not put God first? I submit to you, they did not put God first because they did not love God enough to put Him first. You see, if you love God, you'll put Him first. If you don't love God that much, you will not put Him first. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if you do not love God as much, you're not going to put Him first. The song that we sang, I was, you know, a little teary-eyed because that should be the life of a Christian. A life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That Christ is the center. And everything that we do flows out from being Christ in the center of our lives. But many, perhaps even some of us included, we are the center of our lives. And our faith is just one aspect of our existence. I submit to you, it should be the other way around. Christ and our Christianity and our discipleship needs to be at the center. And everything we do must be an outflow of my love for God because I love God, I put Him first. I believe that is a problem. And perhaps the problem of many Christian churches. And I hope that does not infiltrate CCF. Because it is very easy to lose sight of who should be first. God should be first. As a matter of fact, Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ's what? Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, for them and was raised again. 
The life of a Christian, the life of a disciple should be motivated by the love for God. Paul put it, I'm driven, I am compelled, I am motivated. On what? Because of the love of God. I preach the gospel because I love God. Paul was last 39 times, three times. But he continued the work that was given to him because the love of God, the love of Christ compels me. It's as if I have no choice. I am a prisoner to the gospel. I will share the gospel no matter what. Whether I am in chains, whether I am free, I will continue to proclaim the gospel because it is the love of God that drives me. It is the love of God that compels me. And he's telling us that if you and I have received the love of God, have understood the grace of God, and has accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that there needs to be a necessary change accompanying that profession of faith. Look at what he says. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. I want Christ to change my life. Why? Because I love God. And I want to be able to share that love with other people. Our motivation should be love. I read God's word. I pray. I disciple and I'm discipled. I worship. I give. Why? Because of love. That is my response to God's love for me. Unless, of course, I have not really understood the love of God. If I do not understand the love of God, all this will be a bunch of requirements. Why do you read your Bible? Because my discipleship group leader is going to ask me, where am I now in my Bible reading plan? Why do you give your tithe to the Lord? Because Brother Edwin is going to prepare a year-end statement. And he knows that I earn so much. And when the statement comes, he will realize that I have been below the 10%. Hello? Why am I attending my TNT, my discipleship? Because Pastor Danny is going to preach on discipleship. So I have to be... But when he looks at me, I'm attending. <laughs> Friends, you know, I told our D group, in Manila, I have Bible studies on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays. I have D group on Friday. I prepare for... Uh, Sunday worship service Saturday and I'm in CCF from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. You cannot pay me enough. I do that because of God's love towards me. Humanly speaking, when I became a full-time pastor, I'm worse than a doctor. My phone is on 24-7. I get calls at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. My wife, wag mo na sagutin. Don't answer. It might be a wrong number. Don't answer. They will just call back. But I have to answer. I don't know what it is. I have to answer. And sometimes you get a call. My husband has his passport. He is in the corner waiting for a taxi to bring him to the airport. He's done. Or in some, can you come to the house? I think my daughter is possessed. I'm serious. Why would, why would, why would any ordinary human being like to do that? If not, for the love of God. As a parent, I want my children to obey me, not because of the consequences that they may have if they disobey. 
I want them to obey me because they love me. That should be our primary motivation to do anything and everything that God asks us to do. Should be born out of love. Not of compulsion, but out of love. 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to uh, love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Love, if we say that we love God, that statement has to be accompanied by action. Look at God. This is love. Not that God loved us, but that He loved us and what? What did He do? He sent His one, <coughs> he sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm in my adolescent years. <coughs> that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Have you ever thought about this? God sacrificed the life of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to appease his own anger towards our sin. He sacrificed the life of his one and only son so that he could appease his anger towards our sin. When you say you love somebody, there must be accompanying action. You cannot just say you love somebody and not do anything about it. And as a matter of fact, if we embrace this truth, if we allow God to change us because we love Him, then look at what happens. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. Why? No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. If people around us see that we love God and we love everyone around us, even if they have not seen God, they have a glimpse of what and who God is. Through your love for God. And we only know about God's love because God started it all. Fill in the blanks. I know you know this. We love. Oh, yes. Here we go again. We love. <laughs> Fill in the blanks. We love. Uh, we love because what? Because he loved us first. Friends, we have no idea what love is until God demonstrated his love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what? You do not need to do anything. You do not need to be anyone for God to love you. Because Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness since eternity past since the creation of the world God already loved each and every one of us so we do not need to do anything in order to prove God's love to us it was he who loved us since day one since there was no day one to count I have loved you with an everlasting love. Since eternity past until eternity future, God loves us. And the concept of love comes exclusively from God. So if we want to live a life of love, very easy. You don't need to memorize the Bible, although we would encourage you to read it. You don't need to know a lot of stuff. Except these two. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind. Command number one. Second command. This is the first and greatest commandment, he said. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God. Love your fellow man. And if you really think about it, if you love God enough to put him first, if you love your neighbor before yourself, I submit to you, it solves a lot of problems. Why? Will you want to do good to your fellow man? Will you pray for your enemies? Will you, will you share the good news about Jesus Christ with them? Will you put the needs of others ahead of yours? Will you consider others better than yourselves? Yes. Why? Because you love God enough to love others as yourself. Jesus Christ is telling us that on these two commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourselves, on these the whole law rests. I believe, even if we don't know the Ten Commandments, we can know two commandments. Love God and love others. If we just embrace this truth, our church will thrive. Why? Because I love my, my enemy at work. So I'll begin to pray. Joanna, remember? I'm not saying that she's the enemy. But Joanna began to pray for her office mate. And then her office mate was the one who came. Can you please forgive me? I have been very foul-mouthed in front of you. I, he, the person likes to curse a lot. Out of the blue, this person comes and apologizes. Where does that come from? We pray for people and all of a sudden, they come and attend one of our seminars. Why? If you love God, you will love others. Nothing is not solvable by love. If you feel attacked, if you love the person with the love of God, no problem. They can curse at you in the office. But because you have the love of God and you want to love others as yourselves, you take it. You even begin to pray for them. It doesn't become a requirement. It becomes an outflow of your love for God. Know the love of God. Experience the love of God. And share the love of God. That is the gospel made complete in us. Because no one has ever seen the love of God. But when people see you and how you love God and how you love others, they get a snapshot. They get an overview. They get a picture of our God, a God who loves us. It's okay for us to do this Sunday. Why? We are at our best on Sundays, right? Come in our best clothes. Why? Because the, the, the family, the spiritual family is there. But what about Monday mornings? When you're driving to work or when you're at the workplace or when you have other things to do or you have obnoxious office mates, people who cut you off in the freeways. How can you display the love of God? Is it only on Sundays? I submit to you. And as I promised, we go back. If we apply this, very simple principle, today, God is first. What's tomorrow? Monday. Today, God is first. 
On Tuesday, today, God is first. On Wednesday, today, God is first. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, today, God is first. 24-7. If you just, if you and I just remind ourselves, today, God is first. Don't wait for Sunday to put God first. Practice it every day. And before you know it, you don't even have to think about it. Because it will be embedded in your heart and in your mind. Today, God is first. When you're looking at the check that you're writing out as your tithe, and you're debating in your mind, today, God is first. When you have an unloving husband, and you are tempted not to fulfill your role as the submissive wife, today, God is first. When you are a loving husband and you have an unsubmissive wife, today, God is first. When you have parents that, when you have parents that embitter you, they have double standard. They keep on changing their minds. Today, God is first. When you have children who do not listen to your counsel and continue to just disobey you no matter what, parents, today, God is first. When you're thinking about it, oh, today is so-and-so, we have D-group, but I have this, I have that, I'm swamped. Today, God is first. When you're the D group leader and nobody attends, today God is first. Is that is that applicable? Is that something that we can do? That you know, today God is first. I'm going to bring the whole tide. I wish I knew this before. Eleven million positive. Minus 3 million. That's a 14 million turnaround. That day, God was not first. Today, there are two people who want to declare God is first. They're going to be baptized. So, Ardi, you're going to be baptized in that? Okay. Change now. Because we're going to baptize you now. <laughs> Jeremy, will you stand up? Jeremy, Lucero. As they're changing, may I ask you, have you put God first? Have you put God first in your life? Seriously. I'm not just talking about saying God is first. I'm talking about really putting God first in your life. Okay, can we have a cleanup crew here? Coffee. Have you put God first? Have you thought about him over yourself first? You know, God loved us first. And perhaps you're here this morning and you have not even come to know this God that we're asking you to put first in your life. The Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are separated from God. But because God loves us with an everlasting love and has drawn us with His loving kindness, He wants you and I to have a personal relationship with Him. Sin was paid for at the cross by His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. You know why? God thought of you and I first. Isn't it but a fitting response that we tell God, God, 
from this day on, you will be first in my life. Between you and the Lord, every head bowed, every eye closed. Can you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I don't know the areas in your private lives that you need to put God first. So you be the one to tell God. Just tell him, God, I want to put you first in this or that area. That's between you and God. And if you're here and you're not even sure that God is in you as your own personal Lord and Savior, then I can, can I encourage you to just in the silence of your hearts or even expressing it verbally to just ask God and just admit before Him and say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I thank you for putting my salvation first. That you would sacrifice your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the penalty of my sins. Lord Jesus, by faith, I open the door of my heart. I invite you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Allow me, Lord, to experience the forgiveness of my sins. Allow me, Lord, the grace to trust you day in and day out to put you first every day all day until the day that you call me to be part of heaven that is awaiting. Jesus, we thank you that you freely gave up your life and through your death, we who have life, you have asked us to live for you. Teach us, Lord God, to put you first. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.